Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. I love books about love. And what I love more than that is a real-life love story. And boy, do I have one to share with you. I had the chance to talk with New York Times bestselling author Stephen Rowley before his release of his book, The Celebrants, which I chose for my Read with Jenna book club. The novel explores all the reasons we should celebrate the people in our life while we're living. The happy stuff, the sad stuff, those difficult and messy moments. Celebrate it all. We chatted along with Stephen's husband, Byron Lane, also an author who most recently published Big Gay Wedding. The three of us discussed their beautiful relationship and careers as writers. And let me tell you, their love story seems to have been written in the stars. The two met online and got married after a proposal was hidden in one of their novels. Together, the two have faced life's lows, like Lane's battle with cancer, and its highs, like the shared release of both of their latest novels on the same day. Their work and their marriage are stories of unconditional support and acceptance. I'm Jenna Bushhager, and welcome to my podcast, Read with Jenna. Um, okay, to start off with, I, I wonder what you thought, Byron, when you read his OK Cupid profile. I was blown away by the humor and the heart and actually reached out to him and said in the message, I can tell you're a writer. He said something in there like, I'm a writerly type. He talked about his family, his life. And, you know, that was back in the time before swiping left and swiping right. Yeah. So you had to write these long profiles. And <laughs> I just remember thinking of all the fish in the sea, here's this guy who knows how to string sentences together in a way that is moving and lovely and funny. Don't you love that the sentence structure is what sort of captivated I was like, this is the one for me if he's, if, if it's the grammar that, uh, if it's the grammar that gets him. But that, that's for sure. I'm actually moved now hearing you say that because the fact that I said I'm a writerly type, I used to feel some shame yeah. about uh, that writing was not how I made my living. It took me a long time to break through. I didn't publish my first book until 45, I think. And so I was always a writer, always a writer, but I had a hard time calling myself a writer because I felt some sort of imposter shame. Syndrome yeah, yeah, imposter syndrome, exactly. Yeah. And if I could tell my younger self something, now hearing you talk, I would say, no, you're a writer. If you write, you're a writer and take great pride in that. I wish I hadn't said I'm a writerly tight yeah. or I write on the side. But I do think there's something magic for both of us that our careers really took off once we once we met and once we got together. And I think there's something magical about well, that. Well, and that just shows the power of a good choice. A good right? partnership, yeah. I show our, uh, the power of a good partnership. So I want to hear both of you what your first impressions of each other were. I remember Stephen turning the corner. Our first date was at the farmer's market in Los Angeles, and we were going to do a Starbucks, and then we switched to pink berry yogurt. And I was waiting for him, and I remember him turning the corner, wearing these yellow pants and thinking, he's so tall. And uh, and then we got to talking, and it was just so lovely and so great. I remember hardly anything you said, because uh, I just was like, oh, I hope this keeps going. I hope he likes me. And then at some point during the chat, he like reached out and touched my arm. 
to make a point. And I think the point was that he was into me. And it was it was so lovely and it was such a great confirmation. And I think at the time, like, do you remember that thing, the rules? Yeah, the like, rules. The rules and you, yeah. you shouldn't text and you shouldn't call and all these things. And I texted him right away. I was like, time to break the rules and <laughs> see what's up. And, uh, and it what did you say in that text? Was it a joke about validation, parking validation? It was a joke about validation. If you're looking yeah. for some validation, yeah. here's some. I had a really great time. Writing, yeah. humor, these have all been foundations of, of, our, of our relationship. Puns. 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 I was going to say, validation is a great way yeah. to sort of say I see you, but with some sort of humor in it. Yeah. Stephen, what did you think? Uh, you know, much the same. I felt a sense of calm when I saw him. The interesting thing is in my debut novel, Lily and the Octopus, at the end of the book, the narrator meets a character based on Byron. And so I've written about that moment. And the one thing I think it says in the book is, there you are. You know, there you are. And I, I just remember having that feeling. And it was part because we had switched the plan from coffee to yogurt, you know, and there was a little confusion, but also this immense sort of calm, because you can be really worked up about meeting someone for the first time, but then, ah, you know, it just... It felt right. Yeah. I'm going out of order of your relationship, but I just have to. I think your proposal story is one of the very best of all time. <laughs> you're the, you're the goat. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, all, that's all you. Yeah. Byron, mm-hmm. will you please just tell me how you proposed? So I was going through chemo for testicular cancer, and I was sick and feeling gross, and I was feeling closer to Steve than ever. He was taking such great care of me, and we had talked about marriage, and I thought, well, one of us is going to propose, and you don't have a book being published every day, so let me. I'm going to win this one. I'm going to win this one and propose in the acknowledgments of A Star is Born. And so I called my editor and I was like, hey, can I add a few lines to the end of the acknowledgments? And he's like, it's already off to the printer. What do you mean? And I said, well, I want to ask Steve, will you marry me? And he was like, of course. So uh, he <laughs> it made it happen. stop the and press's moment. That's right. Yeah. And, and so at the end of the book? At the end of, the, yeah, in the acknowledgments, um, uh, it says, thank you to Stephen Rowley, my morning light, my nighttime star, and all the magical blue skies in between. I have so much to thank you for reading endless drafts of this book, helping me live some whisper of what's in these pages, and lovingly building an exciting and crazy life with Tilda and me. I love us. I love you. Will you marry me? How did writing that feel? Were you excited? Well, I had, I had written the first chunk long before, but to add the will you marry me was so exciting and nerve-wracking because yeah. you never really know if the answer will be yes. I mean, you hope. And you talk about it's it. It's out there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was going to say, it's out there in a big way. Yeah. It's in yeah. a lot of copies. That's yeah. right. <laughs> but it was a, it felt like a healthy, great risk. And uh, I wrote that with so much heart. And how cool to know that it's in libraries across the world. That's really cool. World. Yeah. And the, the books arrived. The hardcovers uh, were shipped early just before they hit bookstore shelves. And I pulled one out and I said, Stephen, come over here. I want you to see this. And he had already read this book a million times. I read times. it backwards. backwards. Yeah. 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 I was like, I don't need to see it. Yeah. Yeah. And then he read it, and then he he paused for a second, and he said... Uh, Is this in all the copies? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what yeah. you said? That's what I said. I was so shocked. <laughs> I, I wish I could go back and edit that now. But, yeah, totally. Yeah. But you, and, and then you said... Yes. Then I said yes. Then it, then it was a quick yes. And it was really it was really special and really lovely. Yeah. You're not the type of couple that would necessarily, like, ask on a big screen at a basketball game. But you are a literary couple. Mm. 
Like yeah, the most it felt public, right to us, right? Yeah, but we had talked about the big, but there was a, you know the flash mob proposal yeah. at the time had been a thing, and yeah. and you know we were like, oh God, please don't do a flash mob at Home Depot or something <laughs> like that. Didn't feel quite right either, but this felt uh, just perfect, and it, as an echo to your proposal, even though I didn't make you wait a full year until my next book came out, I did do a public response to the proposal and the acknowledgments of my next book and the gunko and the gunko. You said yes. Yes. Even though you'd already said yes. Spoiler alert. To hark back to for a moment, when I said, you know, I'd written about that first day at the end of my novel, Lily and the Octopus, one of the book club questions that the publisher put out for a reading group discussion guide was, what do you think of the Byron character? Do you think he and the narrator have any future together? And I was like, oh no, people <laughs> in book clubs are going to be weighing in on whether we should or shouldn't be together. So it only seemed appropriate that in the follow-up books that there was a, a declaration that, yeah, I think it's, it's here to stay. That's a perfect segue <laughs> to this, the end of my acknowledgments for the Gunkel. Finally, to Byron Lane, a thousand times yes. In the acknowledgments for his novel, A Star is Bored, Byron proposed. In case anyone had read his book, you should. <laughs> and then was waiting for my next book to see what my answer was, now you know. At the very least, I wanted my acceptance documented in the Library of Congress alongside the contents of Abe Lincoln's pockets and a lock of Walt Whitman's hair. I'm so damn lucky to spend my life with you. Oh, baby. Why am I the only one crying? <laughs> That's so beautiful. What it, I love is that it started with a OK Cupid profile yeah. and nice sentence structure, and then <laughs> the marriage started. Yeah, and the acknowledgments of your book. And it didn't really stop there. Writing has been a through line through all of it. So I encouraged Stephen to write Lily and the Octopus, and then there's a character in Lily and the Octopus based on. Me in A Star is Bored. There's a character based on Stephen. The Gunkel's informed by our time together in Palm Springs. Big Gay Weddings inspired by our little gay wedding. So all <laughs> of our books really, you know, are a sort of a blueprint or a, a map of, of our time together. And it's, but also to keep it real, our biggest fight was also around our writing too. And that is, why? I had written what I thought was a short story, which ultimately became my first novel. But I showed you what, what was that short story. And you said, this is fantastic. You go write chapter two. And I thought, chapter two? No, it's done. You know, this is it. But, you know, men are dumb and we like to impress. And so I was like, all right, I guess I'll go write chapter two. A few years later, you, were, you had an idea for a play that you wrote, wrote a brilliant play called Tilda Swinton Answers an Ad oh, on yeah. Craigslist. Yes. And you toured the world with it, the Edinburgh Fringe Festival twice, London, New York, San Francisco, LA. Amazing. But when he told me that idea, I said, that sounds like a skit. <laughs> And so you said, I, you know, you show me your art and I say more and I show you my art and you say, <laughs> But, you know, I really do think that is part of it. It's, but it's you the same me thing. You proved me wrong. Yeah. With giving notes and all that stuff. Sometimes it's a little bit of someone challenging you and it makes you stronger and makes you push forward and makes you even more determined. And I, that energy and that give and take is something that I think is really special between us. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned this, and obviously it's reflected in the celebrants, but in 2015, you were diagnosed with cancer. Yep. Talk to me about that time. 
that was a really sad moment, but it was a great prognosis. So testicular cancer, if it's caught early, is really treatable. They removed the testicle. Mm -hmm. uh, the cancer was contained, so I did not need chemo. My doctors were all just very uh, comforting about it, and so I felt, I felt well cared for. The hard part was when it came back. Yeah. So they said, we're gonna do regular scans to make sure it doesn't come back, and after five years, if there's no sign of it, then you're in, in the clear. And right at the five years, it came back. And it was on the heels of my book coming out, my first book. Yeah. And um, so it was, that was a little bit of a harder, a harder and time. And it was during the pandemic, right? During yeah. the pandemic. And I needed chemo. So it was all these, all these layers. Mm -hmm. And it was still in a scary moment. You know, as a caretaker for him, that was a really frightening moment because we were still, you know, for better or worse, washing our groceries when, the, you know, yeah. do we leave the mail outside for a day, you know? And so there was all these uncertainties. And then to have you go through something where you would be immunocompromised from chemo, like I carried a lot of like, we must, you know, we must keep him safe. Yeah. And I wonder what you thought of Stephen as a caretaker. Stephen? <laughs> He's great. Uh, I will say one of the benefits of a pandemic raging was that I was not allowed to go in and sit with you during chemo. In the hotel. Because I think I would have fussed too much. Yeah, in the hospital, uh, in the hospital room. He's uh, kind of like a stage caretaker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's great. I mean, one of my favorite things about Stephen is he's he's calm. And things happen in our life that uh, maybe would set some people back. And Stephen is always like, well, like literally he'll say, on to the next thing. And I'm like, well, wait, when are you going to go have a cry? When are you going to eat all the peanut butter? You know? Uh, but this guy just uh, is, is level-headed, and um, and that is such a comfort. And um, what did you learn about Stephen during your cancer treatment? I learned that there are people that can come into your life who you can count on. Mm -hmm. And Stephen's one of the first people in my life where I'm like, wow, this is a guy who loves me for me. He knows everything about me, and he still cares about me, and he still shows up in the times that are the worst uh, and the lowest. And to be able to depend on someone like that is invaluable, it's so meaningful, and it's enriching. And when I look back at my time during that cancer struggle and the chemo and the sickness and all that stuff, it's such a bright spot. Mm -hmm. And so it's hard to look back at that time as painful or suffering or negative because there were little moments, beautiful moments, and especially with Stephen. And did you know then that you wanted to marry him? Oh, yeah. During the chemo stuff, it really did bring us even closer, and that's part of the decision why I called my editor and was like, can we put this proposal in there? That's another beautiful thing that came out of, out of having to go through that cancer thing is it, it really did bring us closer. I think it informed our decision about marriage as well because marriage equality passed yeah. in 2015, so it was not legal you know, nationwide when we first met. And just because it became legal in that moment, particularly me, you know, I've been out for 30 years, so... I had long-standing sort of hardening against the idea of the institution. It was a, maybe a little bit of a protective yeah, stance. Oh, you, you don't want me? Yeah. And then guess what? I don't, I don't necessarily know that I want you. Yeah. And so going through something like this did really soften my stance on, on marriage and make me think, oh, protecting each other is important. Having our relationship defined and contextualized for others is and important, And probably too. seeing him in the hospital yeah. and making sure you, and I, obviously you couldn't, but if he was ever there again, I'm sure you wanted to be I by his side. I would want to be side. there, yeah, yeah, for sure. You obviously were inspired in some ways by what he went through because the celebrants Part of the love story is about a, a man with cancer. Talk about how, how 
that part of his life inspired you to write Jordan and Jordan? Yeah, there are a few things. You know, writers, we do draw specific details in real life. There are a pair of kittens in the celebrants, too, that came from real life because in driving you home from chemo one day, and they tell you, don't even have contact with your own animals, you know, with our dogs. But we found a kitten in the gutter just driving by, and I had to rescue it, and poor you were sick from chemo, and I made you drive so that I could hold the kitten because you shouldn't be allowed to touch the kitten. But that was one thing that came in that moment. But yeah, I think writers, you know, we write to understand, and we write to work through fears and things that we're not certain about. And our story had a happy ending, but it it made me think, well, how would I behave? How would I survive? How would I go on it if, if the circumstances were different? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you're cancer-free. Yes, cancer-free, healthy and happy. Yeah. That's so amazing. Thank you. I also think um, the emotional resonance, the way that you write that love story felt so real. And it was then- inspired by a very real love story. And I always say, God help you if you're related to or friends with the writer, because we do, we do, we are sponges and we do work in those details in real life. I mean, you're taught, write what you know. Yeah. So what are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to do? (laughs) Exactly. Coming up, how Stephen and Byron celebrated the release of their latest novels, published on the very same day, and what they admire most about each other as writers and as partners. Stay with us. Start clean with Clorox, because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Yeah, the charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. I'm back with more of my conversation with celebrants and Gunkel author Stephen Rowley and his husband Byron Lane, author of My Big Gay Wedding. They share a home and a spotlight as successful writers. Here's more of our conversation. So both of you have published novels on the very same day. Crazy. Exciting. That seems sort of like the precipice of the writer's (laughs) couple. Like that, to publish on the same day, books that both, I know, mean a lot to both of you. What, What does that feel like? It really feels like a sign from the universe. We're on the right track. And it was another great opportunity for me to spend so much time uh, with Steven and admiring him and him getting up in front of a crowd. And I still remember the first time I saw him do that at his uh, first book launch. And we had been dating for a while, but I hadn't seen him kind of perform or stand in front of hundreds of people. And to watch him get out there and he did this thing, and I just was like, who is this guy? <laughs> and uh, it's great to see him do that, do that still. That magic is still there, and it's been a fun time. Yeah. What uh, about for you? 
I think it's been a great fun. I mean, I think, you know, there's a moment where I really wanted Byron to be able to have the spotlight to himself. His first novel came out during COVID. She just finished chemo. To a uh, lot of acclaim, may I add. A lot of acclaim. To a lot New of York acclaim. Times. Yeah. To a lot of acclaim, oh, may you, I add. Thank you. But bookstores were still closed and you couldn't tour at that time. And we hadn't really figured out Zoom in the same way we do yeah. now. And so it was this moment where... Um, you didn't get the full experience. And I didn't want to sort of trample on your limelight this time. So I, I we had a moment where I felt very protective of you getting the full experience. And then, you know, I think one of our great strengths is communication. And we talked about it and we decided, I think how we face a lot of things was let's just lean into it and have fun. Yeah. It was great. Bookstores were packed. They sold out of both of our books. Some of the booksellers were like, this is one of the best events we've ever had. <laughs> you know, I think we make a great team. Also, it was free marriage counseling. You know, <laughs> a you little wanna, bit of that. You want to talk about, because people are asking, you know, what is it like to both be writers? How do you work in your home? How yeah. do you share space? Totally. And we're like, well, we're talking about it in front of, you know, 100 people. No, and those book events the whole, can be those therapy. Can be honest. Yes. Yes. Right? Yeah. In front of a bunch of people, all of a sudden you find yourself working through something. <laughs> um, I, so, what do you both admire about each other, both as writers and as people? Byron, you can start. I admire Stephen's calm, his ability to just kind of weather whatever is coming his way. As a writer, his heart, his big heart, is right there on the page. Mm -hmm. Like, if you want to know this guy, it's written. It's written in all these beautiful novels. And um, it's admirable, it's inspirational, and I just think, I think you're the best. Oh. Oh. I think for me, it's your kindness. And it's not something I understood that was important to me until I met Byron, how important that quality is. But truly, what's the most special is I laugh every day. Aww. I laugh every day with him. And that's a real secret that I wish everyone could experience. Yeah, laugh, humor helps. Yeah. My grandmother always used to say humor helps. Yeah. Because it's true. I mean, if you're kind of frustrated or grumpy or whatever it is than just to have somebody that can make you laugh and remember that life yeah. is precious. Um, what about his writing? Um, I think it's so interesting that we sort of write in the same space. You do. It would be very, you know, it would be a little more challenging to, to do this together, I think, if you know, one of us wrote speculative science fiction or something, you know? Horror. But horror, yeah. yeah. But we both write that mixture of humor and heart, hopefully. And so if I didn't know you, I would still be a fan. I would still be a reader. And um, I think that there's a lot of your heart and, and humor reflected on the page as well. Byron, talk to me about your latest book. I know it, you said it was inspired by your little wedding. Yep. We, yeah, we had a little gay wedding. COVID was happening, and we didn't want to wait for that to, to let up, and we were a little impatient. And Stephen found this great little house in Palm Springs that hadn't been touched since the 60s, so it was full of that shag carpet oh, cool. and the crazy decor. And uh, so we, we had our small wedding there, and when it was time to write the next book, I was trying to come up with an idea, and I thought, well, what if what if it was not a little gay wedding? What if it was a big gay wedding? And I'm from Louisiana, from a rural part north of New Orleans where they don't have big gay weddings. And in <laughs> fact, when I lived there, I didn't know any gay people. Yeah. And so I thought, well, what if the story happened there? And so Big Gay Wedding is a little bit of Schitt's Creek. It's a little bit of Father of the Bride. And it's really a story of a mom having to come out as loving and accepting her gay son. She runs a rescue ranch for misfit animals, like a pig that doesn't like dirt and <laughs> macaws that curse. And, so it's a, it's a turning point for this town, and, uh, and that's really at the heart of the story. Mm -hmm. 
Stephen said earlier that if he could tell his younger self, you know, that, that you're not an imposter, you are a writer, say it loud and proud. I wonder for you growing up when you said you didn't even know anybody that was gay, what would you tell your younger self? I would say to keep going, keep a steady hand, believe in yourself, and that one day maybe you'll make a little difference. And even if that difference is just having a book that has the word gay in the title or a couple of guys holding hands on the cover, that that means something to me now. And I think it, it would have meant a lot to me as a kid. Yeah, I mean, representation matters. Yeah, I think about that a lot too. You know, as a young gay person, a lot of the literature that was available when I was coming out in the early 90s was about lives lived in the shadows, very lonely lives, and often lives cut short. And so it feels like such a privilege that we both have these books out now that are about celebration, about joy. And I hope they're examples for younger people to see the possibility because the truth is our lives are filled with community and joy and have been comparatively long. And so I want younger people to see that hope as well. No, I think that's so beautiful and that's so true. I mean, both of your books would be described, and if I could describe them in one word, it's about living. Yeah. It's about joy. Yeah. Coming up, how Stephen and Byron hope their books impact readers and the world after the break. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... I got the charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? Uh, hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. When you describe your love, how would you describe it? Happy. That seems so base, but it covers so much ground. You know, I wake up in the morning... The dogs get me up before Stephen. And to, to watch him having a happy rest is so lovely. When Stephen gets up, we have our coffee, and then he goes off to one half of the house, and I'm in the other, we're writing, and we meet again uh, for lunch. And it really is a, uh, it's a lovely life, and I feel so lucky. Yeah. I think I would describe it as effortless was the word that came to mind. But I also want to be honest, right? You yeah. know, our Instagram feeds, they're highlight reels. Totally. We're on the Today Show, <laughs> you know. These are the, you know, these are the great moments. But we're also people, we also get frustrated, and we also uh, have hard times where we're stuck in our writing. Um, but that's when I think it helps to have someone who understands uh, the process, the artistic process, and what our lives are like and our careers. I think we have an incredible understanding of each other that really helps in those moments when there can be frustration. Is there? Is it ever frustrating to have the same job as your spouse? <laughs> the hardest thing is when something funny happens and- You both want to write it. We both yes. want to write it. Yeah. So Dibs, a, you know, <laughs> like we'll leave a dinner yeah. party and overheard some quirky story and we'll be like, yeah. oh, that's mine. I'm using that. Yeah. Do you ever fight over it? 
I wouldn't say it escalates to fighting. I think that it is... Uh, Define fighting. Yeah, argue, yeah. argue, <laughs> argue. Yeah. argue. Are you ever like, no, I was there too. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see who can write it better. Well, I think... Uh, I, a write-off. Yeah, I love write-off. it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like something for my accountant. Yeah. <laughs> it's totally. more like who can write it first. So yeah. I kind of think that's a little bit of it too. So. Well, but here we got to the finish line on the same day. With our that's really true. Out, so. How amazing is that? Oh, it's crazy. What would you tell your younger self about? Well, I think, you know, for years when I was single, I was so, you know, preoccupied with the idea of meeting someone. That that was so important. Um, and I think a lot. I spent a lot of time stressing, oh, it's not happening. It's not happening the right way. It's This isn't the right match, the way I thought. And I would just tell myself to relax, that it'll arrive when it's right. Mm-hmm. And Or um, he will. He will, yes. Mm-hmm. I would say the exact same thing. The day we met... Uh, I had been working for Carrie Fisher, so we would be out of town chunks at a time. Mm-hmm. So when I did come to town, I would line up dates. Uh, <laughs> you know, I was like, let's find this guy. Yeah. And uh, But by the time I, I met Stephen, I was exhausted. And that morning, I had gone out for a long walk, and it was time to go have coffee with this guy. And I didn't even take a shower or change my clothes. I was like, oh, who cares? I'm learning so much. I would have said to that guy walking over there, yeah, you can relax. You don't have to get dressed up. You can be yourself. He's great. He's great. And uh, it's all happening. Do you remember when you knew each other was the one? Pretty much right away. When I left the date, I called a friend and I said, I think I met my husband. And when people people say that, I think they're, you know, like that's kind of pukey, kind of gross. It's too lovey-dovey. But that is how I felt. And there was just something, something magical about that moment. Was it right after the date for you too, Stephen? Stephen? Oh my <laughs> God. Yeah, I think I knew right. Because I, re- I remember saying something to my sister like, oh, liking someone can be torturous, but really liking someone is easier than I thought it would be. Yeah. yeah. Effortless. Yeah. So what's it like being in a relationship with another writer? (laughs) I think, you know, I have writer friends who assume it would be a nightmare. But I think it really works to our advantage for a couple reasons. One, it's a very uh, solitary endeavor, novel writing, which isn't to say I have a great editor and an agent and now I have a publicity team and a marketing team by the time the book comes out. But in that first draft, it's kind of you and the and the computer, and it's nice to have someone who understands the process and you can talk things through with. I think the challenges come when we give each other things to read. And so it's just a matter of knowing which hat to wear in any given moment. Is he asking me as a spouse to read something, in which case I want to be supportive and totally. encourage him to keep going? Or is he asking me as another writer and would like, you know, notes, and then it's about tact and how to go yeah, about that kind, totally. yeah, yeah, but giving notes is an art, I think, whomever you are. Mm-hmm. Did you ever have that same sort of feeling when you were first started out writing where you like couldn't call yourself a writer? Oh, yeah. I still feel weird calling myself a writer. And, you know, I have two books on bookshelves now, and I'm still kind of like, is this what I'm doing? Mm -hmm. You know, I always think, oh, you know, at any moment I could have to get a real job because this feels like such a delight. Mm -hmm. I feel so lucky to be able to tell these stories. Mm -hmm. And my background's in in journalism. I started in TV news back in New Orleans, Mm -hmm. back in the day. I worked at the same TV station as Hoda. I was going to say, did you know Hoda? Yes, we worked together. Oh, my gosh. And and that that was an opportunity to change lives by telling stories that were so impactful. 
And these stories are fiction, but I hope are just as impactful. And I hope bring just as much heart and change to the world. I mean, I think especially the fact that your books highlight gay love. I think what I love about these books sort of together, as a reading experience together, yours celebrates romantic love and family love. And mine also has a love story in the celebrants, but there's also this great found family, friendship love. And found family is such a theme in the queer community, I think, you know, stemming back from the days when people risked losing relationships with their own families by coming out. You know, it is these friendships that uh, have brought real joy and um, have been a salvation for a lot of queer lives. Mm -hmm. It was such a joy to talk to Stephen and Byron, listening to their personal love story and knowing how deeply it's reflected on the pages of their novels. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Come back next week for another episode of Read with Jenna. If you like what you heard, please give Read with Jenna a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Make sure to tell your friends about us, and new episodes drop every Thursday. The fun doesn't stop here. Want to join our Read with Jenna community of book lovers? Head to today.com slash readwithjenna to find our monthly book list and to sign up for our newsletter. You can also find us on Instagram at readwithjenna. This episode of Read with Jenna is produced by Alexa Casavecchia, Allison Caliguire, and Kate Saunders. Our associate audio engineer is Juliana Masterilli. Our audio engineer is Katherine Anderson. Bryson Barnes is our technical director. Missy Dunlap-Parsons is our executive producer. And Libby Least is the executive vice president of Today and Lifestyle. One, two, three. Four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.